We give you thanks, glory to his name, hallelujah. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus, we are in chapter 9 today. The book of Leviticus, chapter 9, praise the name of the Lord. And we're going to read from verse 22, Leviticus chapter 9. Verse 22, when you got it, say so. It says, And Aaron lifted his hand toward the people, blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out of and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense in it, and offered it and offered profane fire before the Lord which he had not commanded. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. Lord, we are humbled as we look at your word this morning. What seemed like a glorious moment of celebration and seemed like someone just joining in the fun ended in judgment because it didn't align with what you had commanded. And so, God, I pray that we would have ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church in this moment. May we not be hearers alone, but may we be doers. May we be respondents to the truth of your word, God. May you be glorified in these next few moments as we're together. Remove distractions from our minds and our hearts in this place and those who are joining with us online. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus and everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, you can raise your hand and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. We want you to be able to follow along. We want you to be able to take notes. And, and I hope that you will not just take notes, but as I have told you every week, as we're going through the book of Leviticus, we are not going to go through every single detail line by line. We're going to do an overview of certain sections in the book of Leviticus. So my hope is that you will go home and that you'll read the text of scripture that we are talking about. Last week I gave you homework. I gave you seven chapters. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Hallelujah. Amen. By the giggles, I'm assuming you failed the test. Glory to God. That's all right. That's all right. And, you know, we're grace. We're grace-based, right? We want you to just, just do it. Amen. Just go on to this week. Uh, commit. There's only three chapters for this week. All right? That's a little bit easier. You can do that much easier. But nonetheless, today we're going to cover chapters 8 through 10, 8 through 10, and we're going to deal with the topic of the need for mediators. And when you think about this word mediators, it can be interchanged with the word priest. 
And what we find here in the, in, in, the, in the passage that we're looking at is we see these priests, one by the name of Nadab, the other one by the name of Abihu, and they do something that is wrong. Nonetheless, they had just been sanctified, and we're going to look at that in a moment, but they were mediators. They were one who, who were the mediators of the covenant, that old covenant with Israel. They're the ones who were doing the sacrifices. So in your outline, it says this, under the old covenant, the God's people had a priesthood. You hear that? They had a priesthood. Under the new covenant, God's people are a holy priesthood and a royal priesthood. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 and verse 9 confirm that we are the royal priesthood of God, that we are the priesthood of believers. We, I hope that you heard the first week when I was talking, when, when I was laying the foundation for the book of Leviticus in our study, that we are the, the royal priesthood of God. That God has called us out of darkness, that we are his chosen people, his royal priesthood. We are called out of darkness into light to proclaim the praises of God Almighty. The reason why we, have, we were created, and I shared with, with you, um, Brother Angel shared, we were created to worship. We were created with this idea of worship, to worship God Almighty, to honor him in obedience. We weren't necessarily created to sing. Come on now, not everybody can sing, amen. There, there's some moments that I can't even sing. I'm just like, oh, I don't know about that right there. My daughter, she's like, oh, that was good, hallelujah. <laughs> amen, out of the mouth of babes, glory to God, right? You know, I'm, feel, I'm feeling myself, and then I'm like, Whoa, oh, no, amen, let's, let's stop while we're behind, amen. <laughs> but whether you can sing or not, you are created to worship. We don't see necessarily singing happening in the garden, do we? No, we don't. But Adam and Eve were created to worship God by them bearing fruit in the earth, right? By them, by them doing what God had created them to do. They were worshiping him. The moment that they ate of the fruit, they decided to worship themselves. And one person, my sister Marianetta, she shared with me something that I think is really important, right? And it's that they, they weren't drawn to evil. Are you here? They were drawn to something good. It was just not for them. Hello. Oh, it was good. It, absolutely, there was some good stuff there. There was some knowledge that you were going to have. But that knowledge that seemed good, it was going to end up being bad. It was going to open your eyes to something that you didn't need to see, something you didn't need to know. But the truth is that we were created to worship God. And under the old covenant, what God did, and we established this in, in, in the beginning of Leviticus, the first seven chapters, we talked about it last week. The, what God did was because he wanted fellowship with Israel, he had to create a system in which they would be able to approach him. Because God is holy, he is different, he is separate from the world, and we in and of ourselves do not have the capacity to be holy as he is holy. Nonetheless, we are called to be holy as he is holy. So how do we do that? We do that through the mediators. We do that through the sacrifices. And so, as you continue reading in your outline, every believer in Jesus Christ can say with the apostle John, to him who loved us. And washed us from our sins in his own blood. That should get you excited right there. 
to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We are the priesthood of believers now, but we see some things in the original priesthood that should give us pause and should make us think about what it means to be this mediator of the new covenant, to be this priest in the new covenant, which is what we all are. And as we look at this story here of Nadab and Abihu, I don't know about you, but it, 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 it goes from like this climactic moment, and I'll talk about this in, in my last point, but it goes from this climactic moment where the glory of God manifests powerfully, where the fire of God comes out, consumes what is on the altar, the people see the glory of God, they shout, and they fall on their faces. And then all of a sudden, it's like Nadab and Abihu, I don't know what happened to them, but for some reason, they were like, yo, we need to get our censors. We need to get some fire. We need to bring this before the Lord, and God strikes them dead. And what I want you to think about this morning is this. The way we worship God will shape the view of God of those around us. The way we worship God will shape the view of God of those around us. You know, we often say this, we often hear this, right? If you're a believer or people know you're a believer, they're watching you. Right? We, we all know that. The moment you say you're a Christian, it's like, oh, okay, let me see. Let me see how Christian they are. And they start looking at your life, and, and you, you know, you start to feel like, oh, you got to act right, you know, around them. You can't say them words you would say if they wasn't around. Come on now. <laughs> You can't, you can't look at that stuff on your phone that you would normally look at when they're around. You got, you know, you, you got to be holy because they're watching you. You know what the problem with that thought is? You think it's all about you. We're, we're more concerned with how we look to them rather than how God looks to them. We're more concerned that we don't look bad, and, and, and in many cases, we're cool hiding our hypocrisy as long as they don't see it, we're okay. But wait a second. What about the one who sees all? What about the one you can't hide from? What about the one you can't scroll in secret from? What about the one that you can't talk like that away from? What about the one that you can't act like? What, what about him? Because the reality is they're watching you, but what you should be doing is pointing to him. Your life should be pointing to him. We should be pointing to him. Because what? Because we are affecting the way people see God around us. Their view of God is shaped by the way that we live. Their view, oh, if you're serious about God, like your life has different values, should it not? You're not just striving after the American dream and using Jesus' name for it, right? Like... <laughs> The blessing of the Lord maketh rich and addeth no sorrow. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> that blessing that I have, I'm running after that blessing. Hallelujah. In the name of the Lord. Because that thing is mine. Hmm. Hmm. I'm just saying, like, is that, is that what we do? Is that who God is? God is like our genie that gives us some promises. 
Is that the way the world views your God? I mean, how do you live in this world? How do you worship him? Is he just a God that is at your beck and call, or are you his servant because he is so great? Does your life say, my God is holy? He's not like any other God in this world. Does your life communicate that? Does the way you worship him declare that? Because when you look at these words, and again, we will look at them again at the end of the sermon, but what does Moses say to Aaron in verse 3 of chapter 10? He says this, this is what the Lord spoke saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. That's our position toward God, that we view him as holy. That we view him as righteous. And before all the people, I must be glorified. That's the picture we show to everyone else. That we want to live for the glory of God. That we want to stop having that mouth. That we want to stop having those thoughts. That we want to stop having the desire to scroll in those particular places. Come on now. That we don't want to value the things of this world the way the world does because that offends our God. That's what we should want, right? We should want him. So the first thing I would ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, submission to God is part of being consecrated as mediators. Submission to God is part of being consecrated as mediators. Just go back with me really quickly to chapter 8, just a couple of pages maybe back. And we're just going to read verses 1 through 5. I want you to see this because this is the beginning after God, chapters 1 through 7. He makes the the, the clarifications on how he, he puts the standards of how all of those sacrifices, remember we talked about those five sacrifices last week. He made the establishment for all of those sacrifices. And then now he is going to establish the ones who are going to mediate those sacrifices because it wasn't just for me right to as a person in Israel at that time to come and just sacrifice my own lamb and offer it to God like no it wasn't that I was I was sinful and so what God does is he separates a people and he says these are the people that are going to be the mediators they're going to be the ones that are going to take the sacrifice from your hand and they are going to present it before the Lord that's what that, that's the system that was set up the beauty of this system is that Jesus is the ultimate mediator We are unworthy, but he is the lamb that was slain. He is the one who is worthy. Therefore, our worth comes from who? Comes from him. Our right to enter into God's presence comes because of what Jesus did. That's what what we're supposed to grasp. But here, we see something that's going on here. So look at verse um, verse 1, chapter 8. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, the anointing oil, a bull as, as the sin offering, two rams, and a basket of unleavened bread. And gather all the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So Moses did as the Lord commanded. This is so important. And the congregation was gathered together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, this is what the Lord commanded to be done. You hear, the, you hear those words that, are, that, 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 I've, that I've tried to emphasize? This is what the Lord has commanded you. This is what the Lord has commanded to be done. When you do your homework, because I know you will, I want you to, I want you to do something if, if, you, if you're willing to do this. I want you to underline or highlight every time within these chapters that you see the Lord commanded. That you see this is what the Lord commanded. Because what is important for us is that we follow what the Lord commands. 
Not that we follow the dictates of our own heart, but that we obey what the Lord commands. That we do things according to his recipe, right? That we do things the way that he wants to be, you know, things to be done. For those of you that have um, parents who cook well, right, they usually have a recipe of some sort. Hallelujah. And if you enjoy their food, what do you want? You want that recipe, right? (laughs) And if you decide to to do it your way, guess what is not going to happen? It ain't going to taste that good. It's not going to taste as good as the original recipe. It's not, it, it's not going to have that. You have to follow the instructions. And for some of you, it's impossible because they don't measure anything. They're just like, oh, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and blah, blah, blah. And, and boom, like, whoa, here you go. Wait, wait, time out. How much of that, you know? <laughs> just so you know, our Lord is much more meticulous than those great cooks in our lives. Amen? <laughs> He doesn't leave anything to chance. He doesn't see, well, maybe they'll figure it out or something. No, no, no. He makes it very clear what he wants, what he expects. The same holds true of the sanctification or the consecration of the mediator. So what did God do? First of all, God ordained that Aaron and his sons would serve as the priests. Aaron being the high priest, his sons as the priests, they were the mediators of the old covenant. So what does a mediator do? Because I'm saying this word. What does a mediator do? A mediator is one who represents two parties. That's what he does. In the covenant context, the priests were to represent God to the people, and they were supposed to represent the people to God. So they had this two-way representation as mediators. There was a seriousness of this because the first one is what's most important. It's that I as a priest, you as a priest, because look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, remember, you're a priest. I know that word has a, like a lot, of, a lot of baggage with it in our days. You're like, no, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are. <laughs> you, are you are not a priest in the Catholic sense of the word. Nope, you're not. But you are a priest in the biblical sense of the word. You are a priest, and so as, as a priest, you have, to, you have to remember, just like Aaron and his sons had to be reminded, you are representing God to the people because When you don't get that, when you don't get the gravity of that, then you know what you end up doing? You end up doing what they did later on. And even in chapter 10, they end up misleading the people. Because they didn't understand that they were representing God. As you read throughout Israel's history, what do they do? The mediators, the the priests were doing all kind of stuff that were wrong. Things that were not God. Things that were not right. You remember Eli's sons, right? (laughs) I I mean, these guys were crazy. Sleeping with women, and I mean, they were out of their minds. They were taking of the sacrifice before they gave to, out of their minds. They, they forgot. Wait a second, we're, represent, we're, we're representing God to the people. Church, that's what we're supposed to be doing here, representing God to the people. Not that we're God, but we are his representatives in the earth. We are, that, that's what we're called to do. And then we also represent the people before God. So here's what's supposed to happen in their context. The, 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 they represent God to the people, but then the people bring their sacrifices. They lay hands on the sacrifice. They, they, they put their sin, right, their guilt on the sacrifice. They give it to the priest, and then the priests do what? They bring it before the Lord. As a form of intercession, as a form of prayer, as, as, as a form of asking God for, for, for forgiveness for their sin, right? Like that's what the offering was about. Is that not what we're supposed to be doing as well? We're not bringing animals before the Lord, but we're supposed to be interceding on behalf of those who don't know God. 
We're supposed to be praying. You know, we, we struggle, and I'll be honest with you, the church in general struggles in a big way with this word evangelism, hallelujah. There's a struggle. Pastor Aldo, we, got the, we finally got the new cards, the invitation cards. You know, like invitation and evangelism are two different things. I want you to know that, right? But we want to help you because if you invite someone, that may help you to evangelize them. But inviting someone is not the same thing as evangelism, amen? But can I tell you why I believe firmly that our, we struggle so much with evangelism? I'm, I'm going to tell you what I believe to be firmly true on this. It is because we don't pray for lost people. We don't intercede for lost people. We may mention lost people to the Lord. We may talk to, say, God, you know, save them. Do No, no, I'm talking about we don't, like, like writhe in pain over their lost situation. We are not broken because guess what? When, when I am burdened for someone, when I am broken for someone, when, when I see someone from the perspective that, man, they're going to spend eternity in, in hell, when I see that in prayer, man, it's not hard for me to open my mouth. Anymore, you know, we went, we went skiing this weekend, right? And, and, I, and I saw these kids, they, they, were, they, they were flying, literally flying down this mountain. And I, and, I, and, I, and I was, you know, I was starting to move, you know, left and right. I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I got this thing. And I, but it was foggy, and I got really nervous because when I saw this one kid, he flew off, like, the side, like this little dip area, right? That was scary enough. Then I watched the kid that was behind him, like, fly over him, kick him in the face, and, like, flip. And you know what I did? And I'm not skilled, you know. Brother Lewis back there, he's a skilled skier. I am not at that level. So I'm, like, trying to, like, stop looking crazy. But I... But, but I, was, I was willing to stop my fun, to stop whatever I was doing, to be like, yo, are you guys okay? I may not be able to even help you. But because I saw what happened to them, I was moved to intervene in their situation however I could. Evangelism is the same way. We're afraid of being rejected. Listen, when you've been crying tears over someone's soul, you could care less about being rejected when you have had the God of the universe burden your heart for someone who doesn't know Christ, how can you not open your mouth? I know, I, I mean, I read about a guy named Jeremiah. He said, even if I tried to shut up, I can't because your word is like fire shut up in my bones. So you want, you want to get freed of the fear and, and the doubt and, and, really, and really just the, the lack of concern for lost people. You want to get past that? Get on your face before the Lord and start crying out for their salvation. Listen, there will not be enough lost people for you to share the gospel with. There will not be enough lost people. For, but, but, but again, that's what the mediator does, right? The mediator represents God to the people, and he represents the people before God. He comes before God on their behalf. He prays for those who are bound in the identity crisis. Yes, it, you know, the, he, he is burdened for them because he knows their struggle. He's praying for those who are bound in drug addiction. He is broken. He is burdened for those. He is broken over the one who is, who is an alcoholic and can't seem to get away from. He, he is burdened for those people because he realizes that their souls are in bondage to sin, and if they do not turn and get free, guess what happens? They spend eternity burning and separated from the love of God. See, that's what mediators do. But see, if they're not separated, if they're not separated unto God, and, and again, I, I can't read all of this because we have, you know, time and you guys got to go to lunch and all that good stuff, but here's the thing. 
It's funny because I was this morning when I, when I got here, you know, I'm trying to be obedient to the, to the thing I told you guys. You know, I want to read the book of Acts, you know, go through it, continue through it every month. And so I'm reading chapter 20. And as I'm reading today in chapter 20, when you go read it, you'll be like, yeah. It says that Paul preached until midnight. Hallelujah. And I was like, some of y'all are like, oh. <laughs> Thankfully, there's no windows here because there was a guy by the name of Eutychus who was there. And he was like, man, you're going too long, pastor. <laughs> fell out the window, and, and died. <laughs> I, try, I tried to put myself in Paul's place, right? And I'm like, would I have gone out there and prayed for his healing? I've been like, see y'all, that right there, wake up. You could be next, right? But, I, but, 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 I, but as you read through here, you're going to see that the, the, these mediators, there was a process of sanctification. And there's a couple of things that happen, and one of them is that there's all of these things that happen, these sacrifices that are made on their behalf. Moses is, is sacrificing the animals. They're laying their hands on the animals. Moses is anointing them, their ears, their thumbs, their big toe, you know, all that. They're, he's going through all this stuff that doesn't seem to make any sense to us, but go through a dig. Ask the Holy Spirit, show me what this is all about. But I love this. He called the congregation there. He didn't say, hey, just come by yourselves, guys. We're going to get together, just the four of us or five of us. I'm going to anoint you guys, pray for you guys. No, the congregation had to come and be witness to what was going on. But not just that. After the congregation witnessed all of this stuff, they had to stay in the temple for seven days or they were going to die. They had to stay there seven days doing what? Spending time in the presence of the one they were representing. Being sanctified, being purified. See, here's the thing we got to realize is that we have to, if we're going to be faithful mediators, we have to spend quality and quantity time in the presence of God. Are you here? Not just once in a while, not just Wednesdays. Hey, and thank you guys that are coming out on Wednesdays. I hope to see more of you continuing to come out here on Wednesdays to pray, to seek the Lord, to cry out to him for revival, to cry out to him for our city, to cry out to him for lost people. I want to say, listen, I thank God for people that are showing up 845 every Sunday morning. We're here praying, seeking the Lord. This is an opportunity. This is a moment that we get to come together and cry out to God. There, but it has to be more than that. It has to be more than that. And not just for me, right? Because, you know, a lot of times we think, oh, the pastor's got to be prepared. What is, wait a second. <laughs> I'm, I'm the pastor of a few people. What about all the people you know? Are you, are you being that representative of God to them? Are you representing God to, or them to the Lord and bringing them before him? We're supposed to be doing that. That's what God is calling us to do. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, mediators, mediators. are to concern themselves with the glory of God. Mediators are to concern themselves with the glory of God. Look at chapter 9. Chapter 9, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Look, what, look at what Moses says after these sacrifices are being made. On the eighth day, it says this, And it came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, take for yourselves a young bull as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering without blemish and offer them before the Lord. And to the children of Israel, you shall speak, saying, Take a kid of the goats as a sin offering, and a calf and a lamb, both of the first year, without blemish, as a burnt offering, also a bull and a ram as a peace offering, to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord will appear to you. 
So they brought what Moses commanded before the tabernacle of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord commanded you to do, and the glory of the Lord will appear to you. So what does Moses do? You guys been sanctified? Now you know what it's time to do? Start working. You're not just holy, just now you're holy, holy, and you're good, and you don't touch people. You call everyone unclean. You act like you're holier than thou. That isn't what it is. Now it's time to get dirty. Hello. Think about it. I mean, when we think about sacrifices, right, I don't know about anybody else in here. I've never, I have never, like, killed an animal and, and, and you know, cut it open, but I'm, I'm pretty certain anyone who has done that has experienced how nasty that is. Bloody. That, that's the process here. So, so we're, 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 we're going to get dirty now. We just got cleaned up. Now we're going to get dirty. Now we're going to get involved in the sacrifice. But then there's this beautiful promise. And it is that if they do what God said, they would see the glory of the Lord. If they do what God said, if they obey what God commands, they will see the glory of the Lord. So what did I say? That, that second point is mediators are to concern themselves with the glory of God. What did God do? He responds to them. We already read that in the, in the, in the latter portion of the text. We read it in the opening. The, the glory of the Lord appeared in a powerful and mighty way. This is what happens here. As ministers of the new covenant, as mediators, right, as these priesthood of believers that we are, we can never lose sight of our privilege to experience, to carry, and to convey God's glory as we wait for his return. Are you here? See, when we think about God's glory, I, I, I want to qualify this. We, we may not see the glory of God like they saw. Like We may not see fire come down from heaven. I think we need to see that. Hallelujah. <laughs> I don't know, but would it really help? Because it didn't help them too much. I'm just saying. The fear of the Lord didn't, wasn't lasting like it should have been. I think, I think Pastor Aldo was sharing it. He was saying, uh, you know, man, I, I wish we would, you know, talking about Ananias and Sapphira, I, I wish that we could see somebody die. I was like, man, bro, I might be the one dying. But the point is what God does is throughout history, he makes examples of people to let them know, hey, I'm holy. I'm not to be played with. I'm to be honored. I'm to be respected. I am to be revered. And so there has to be this fear of God that comes. But here's the thing. We may not see the glory of God the same way that they saw glory. But I do, I do believe this firmly, that if we will unite around the cross, if we will unite around the gospel, if we will unite around the call of God to intercession, we will see the glory of God as we see in the New Testament. I'll tell you that. There is no question that we can see our world shaken and turned upside down. Oh, yes, Jesus is coming. And, oh, yes, we should be anticipating it. And we should be looking forward to it. And as we prayed this morning, the spirit and the bride say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Because we want to be taken away from this life of suffering and hardship. We want to see the reign and rule of God. We look forward to that. And we should be living for that. But we shouldn't be sitting around twiddling our thumbs like, okay, when is this going to happen? 
Until then, we should be seeking God for his presence. We should be seeking God for his power. We should be seeking God to see his glory in this earth as we read in the book of Acts, as we see throughout church history in the new covenant where God has brought revival and he has turned hearts upside down. That is the glory of God. Where you see somebody turning to him. Listen, when you see somebody, my mom saw the glory of God 20-something years ago when we were in that room and I gave my life to Jesus. That is the glory of God that is moving in someone's life. Every time you see somebody who turns to Jesus, that is seeing the glory of God. We should be desiring and believing God that he can manifest his glory if we will simply obey what he commands. If we will simply do what he says, if we will simply follow his dictates, not ours. If we will simply say, God, I'm your servant, you're not mine. I am your servant, you're not my servant. I am your servant, you are my king, you are my God. And you've made me a friend, you've made me part of the bride. Yes, you have done all of that, but nonetheless, man, I am your servant. And what you say goes. And so God wants us to experience his glory. He wants us to, ex- he wants us to encounter him individually, and he wants us to encounter him collectively. He wants us to carry his glory. He wants us to be those who are carriers, who are conduits of his glory, who can be the ones who convey his glory to the world as we live for his glory. That's how we do that. They were supposed to be concerned about the glory of God. God set them apart. God consecrated them. God made them ready to serve. And then what? And I want to show you glory. I want to change things. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, when mediators fail to give God glory, it results in discipline or judgment. When mediators fail to give God glory, it results in discipline or inevitably judgment. What do we see here? We see we read the text already, verses 1 through 3. Nadab and Abihu, I don't know why. Again, I, 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 try, to, I try to understand, like, what, what would move them like that? We don't, have any, we don't have any details. We only have the detail of the people shouting and the people falling on their faces. And then Nadab and Abihu, they decide, well, we're going to grab our censers. We're going to put some fire in there, the wrong fire. We're going to do some, and we're going to offer this to the Lord. Like, well, he, he, he set us apart. I don't know. There, there was something going on in these guys' minds. But here's something that I want to read to you. Uh, one of the writers said this, and, and, and I think that this is really good. He said, a day which should have ended with the glorious worship of Jehovah God was instead climaxed with the funeral of two of Aaron's sons. He goes on to say this. He says, the page of human history has never been a, has ever been a sadly blotted one. It's a record of failure from first to last. Amid all the delights of Eden, man hearkened to the tempter's lie in Genesis 3. When preserved from judgment by the hand of electing love and introduced into a restored earth, he was guilty of the sin of intemperance, Genesis chapter 9. When conducted by Jehovah's outstretched arm into the land of Canaan, he forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth, Judges chapter 2 and verse 3. When placed at the very summit of earthly power and glory with untold wealth at his feet and all the resources of the world at his command, he gave his heart to the uncircumcised stranger, 1 Kings chapter 11. 
No sooner had the blessings of the gospel been promulgated than it became needful for the Holy Ghost to prophesy concerning grievous wolves, apostasy, and all manner of failure. Thus, man spoils everything. I know you're real happy now. You feel very encouraged that you spoil everything. But it's true. If you, if you believe the Bible to be God's word, and you believe the Bible to be accurate depictions of humanity from creation to the, to, to the last writings of Scripture, then you see that, man, you, you go to the book of, of, of Revelation, and what does God do to five of these seven churches? He rebukes them. Churches that had the apostles there, churches that had, I mean, they, if, if anybody should have been on fire serving God straight, it should have been these churches. And all, you know, five of the seven were rebuked harshly. Because what? Because they turned from the grace of God. Because they turned from the truth. Because they worshiped God the way they wanted to instead of how God commanded in the book of Revelation, we are, we are instructed, we are shown there what God does. He disciplines, does he not? He gives them instruction. He gives them opportunity to repent. But if they don't repent, then what happens? They are going to be judged and judged harshly, vomited out, removed. I mean, these are, these are harsh judgments. They seem harsh. They're not harsh. God is holy. He is good. He is righteous. He's made provision for us. If you think about Nadab and Abihu, it seems like they did everything wrong. Let's look at what they did wrong. First of all, they used the wrong, they, they, they were the wrong people to be handling the incense. They weren't the high priest, so they were the wrong people. The second thing is they used the wrong instruments. They used their censer instead of the one censer that was set apart. They acted at the wrong time. The, 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 this incense was only supposed to be offered on the day of atonement. They acted under the wrong authority. They did it on their own, not under Moses' authority or their father Aaron's authority. They used the wrong fire, strange fire, unauthorized fire. It was, apparently, it wasn't the fire from the altar. It was a strange fire. When I looked up that word strange, you know what it actually means? It means nauseated. It was a nauseating fire before the Lord. It wasn't a pleasing, but you know, you know why? Okay, let, 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 let's just go back really quickly. Let's go to verse 1. I want you to see this. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and put incense on it and offered, it be, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which, what? which he had not commanded them. Remember what I said, how important that word of what God commands matters? They wanted to do something that seemed, I would assume, pretty religious. It was something that, that seemed to be righteous, something that would go in line. God moved in a powerful way. We are just trying to join in that. But God didn't command them to do that. You know what we need to focus on, church? What God commanded us, not what we think he said. Not what we want him to say. Not what we'd like him to command. No, no, no. We need to follow what he commands. We need to follow what he says. Not what we feel, because that, that feeling could be an ingestion. That feeling could also just be deep, wounded offense inside of you that you feel like this has to be said. doesn't have to be said. You need to repent. You need to forgive. You need to humble yourself. It may be some real big inspiration and motivation that seems like God, not him, 
He didn't command it. See, every single thing they did was wrong. And it seems like, it seems like they were acting out of the wrong energy. You'll notice, you don't have to read this now, but if you go down to verse 9 and 10 in chapter 10, for, for, for some reason, God throws in there that the Levites and, and, and the priests, that they shouldn't drink wine. They shouldn't be under that influence. So it seems like something was going on. They, 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 were, they, they were moved by the wrong things. But you know what's beautiful? Because I don't know about you, but I know me. I've been moved by the wrong things. I've done the wrong things. I've said the wrong things. You know, what's, you, you know what is so beautiful about being part of the new covenant? Is that if you're sitting there in the weight of every wrong thing you've ever done, there's a rescue. If you're sitting there feeling depressed, feeling like, man, this sucks. Why is Bishop always coming at us like this? If you're fe- I mean, look, you may be feeling that way, right? You, I mean, you. there is one who died so you could run to him and put all of that wrong at his feet. See, the beauty of the gospel is that we are always going to get it wrong. That's the, that's the bad news of this thing. We are always going to fall short of the glory of God. There is never going to be a day this side of heaven that you and I are going to walk in perfection. While we should be striving to be holy as he is holy, we know this. The scriptures show us that. And you know what our sin does? Our sin separates us from God. Our sin is what makes us feel like garbage. When you hear a message and like, man, what? I, I do so much wrong. I think so. That, that, that sin creates that, that distance, that feeling. But I want you to know about our glorious and wonderful Savior. Because Jesus doesn't leave us in the wrong. He comes into our place, dies for every single thing we did wrong and every single thing we will do wrong. doesn't mean that we can just live how we want to live. It means we can run to the cross. We can run to our Savior. We can run to this God who died and rose again to conquer sin and death and the grave. He did all of that so we could run and we could have a new identity. So we can come to him with repentant and humble hearts. So we can say, God, I've done wrong, but I need you to save me. And you know what? Not I just need you to save me, but you say that if I humble myself, if I cry out to you, if I call upon you, I will be saved. That's real. That's the rescue. Again, it's not a license to sin. It's not a license to do wrong. Because the fact is judgment is going to come. And there, is a, and there is a sad reality that many people are not going to run to the cross and cling to the Savior the way that they should. And they will experience judgment that is eternal and terrible because they were workers of iniquity, not his servants. That's why he says, many, many will come unto me in that day and say, did we not cast out demons? Did we not prophesy? Did we not do mighty works in your name? And he will say, part from me, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity can't live in the wrong, but you can repent of the wrong. You can't, you can't abide in the wrong. You can turn from it and say, God, I recognize it's wrong. I recognize it's not right, and I can't live how I want to live. I want to live for your glory. That's where we should be at church. Our call to be holy is about being separate from the world. 
Our worship of God cannot be in accordance to the dictates of our heart, what we feel or even understand. We must realize our worship can either negatively or positively impact the world around us. Again, the way that we worship God influences the people's view of God around us. So here's my closing question for you. Does the way you live reflect a heart committed to setting God apart as the one true God? Does the way you live reflect a heart committed to setting God apart as the one true God? I want you to bow your heads for a moment, please. And I want you to think about this question. Because we can't live for our own glory and live for his at the same time. And so as you think about your life, as you think about everything that you do, as you think about all the decisions you make, are you living a life? If people looked at your life, would they say, man, that guy serves the one true God. That woman serves the one true God. Or would they be confused? Would they be unsure of who the one true God is? Listen, if you're, if you're sincere with the Lord and you say, God, I don't, there's some areas that I really need to rectify. There's some areas that I need to dethrone myself and enthrone you in. I'm asking you to humble your heart before God today. Humble your heart before him. Lord, look at our hearts. You know us better than we know ourselves, Lord. And we want to be sure that our lives are not a confusion to the world around us of who you are. And so, Lord, you know what's going on inside of each heart, Lord God. And so I pray, Lord, that you would only quench the conviction of those who are repentant before you. Father, for anyone who is ignoring your call to holiness, your call to repentance, Lord, may that conviction remain strong on them until they turn. Father, for those in this place or those with joining us online who have said, God, we want to be sure that our lives reflect you, that we are not confusing the world, that we are not living in your name in vain, God. Lord, we want to be holy as you are holy, God. I pray that you would strengthen that brother, strengthen that sister, grant them repentance, grant them faith, grant them the ability to obey, to obey, Lord God. Lord, break the strongholds in our minds and our hearts that hinder us from walking in the fullness of your will and your purpose. God, may you, may you be glorified 
in my brothers and in my sisters and myself as well, that we would be faithful mediators of this new covenant, God. We thank you for this, and we pray this in Jesus' strong name. And everyone said, amen. Come on and give God a hand of praise. He is worthy.